So you want to figure out where God is calling you. And we always think about calling as being something that's going to be amazing and wonderful. Like God is only going to call us to do the thing that we would gladly step into. But that isn't always the case. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking with a guest about how God can actually turn those hard seasons, those difficult seasons into our calling, which means we wouldn't have actually chosen to pursue that as our business, but it doesn't mean that God isn't calling you to it. So this one is going to be good because it's going to change your perspective about what it means for God to give you a calling and that sometimes we just have to be obedient and say yes. If you're feeling God call you to pivot life as you know it by leaving your career plans to start an online business and you're terrified of how you'd ever actually pull that off, then you're a mama with a calling and this is the podcast for you. Here's where we'll talk about everything from choosing the right business and running it as a mom to biblical inspiration and motivation to conquer your fears. Because even though it's causing you some anxiety, you're also excited because you know God's calling you to it. And that means you're headed to a life with more joy, fulfillment, and purpose like you've always wanted. Hi, I'm Alexia Carrillo, fellow Mama with the Calling, and I'm passionate about helping other moms like you step into their calling and not stay stuck in their career for fear of going against the grain. I believe it's okay to pivot and follow God's calling on your life without the guilt or shame for not doing what the world says you should do. This is the Mama with the Calling podcast where we'll figure out how you can actually make this wild calling on your life become a reality. Let's grab some coffee and dive in. Hey there, and welcome back to the Mama with the Calling podcast. Today's podcast episode is an interview that I am doing with Lisa Apollo, and I just want to start out by saying that this episode is going to start by talking about some heavy stuff because Lisa had a major tragedy happen in her life where her husband passed away and she talks about that but then she goes into and our conversation morphs into how she later felt God actually lead her to start just to help other people through similar situations or through their own grief even though she didn't necessarily want, um, she wouldn't have chosen that business, which is a really interesting part of her journey that I think is very um, important and something that we should definitely pay attention to, that sometimes the thing we're called to do may not be the thing that we thought we would want to do, but it's still the thing that God is calling you to do. So listen for that part of her story. That's really good um, when we get to that part. And you know, as we're we're going to talk about her story, yes, and we're going to talk about her book, which goes into that. But we're also going to talk a lot in this episode because, you know, I'm talking to you all who are interested in starting businesses, pursuing your calling. We're actually going to talk a lot about the business side of things and how she actually surrendered to the call to help others in their own grief and what that journey looked like from niching down to blogging to publishing a book, etc. And how Um, She ended up turning that into a business. So I really hope that her story inspires you today, either from the perspective of someone going through something really hard, and maybe you don't know how it'll turn out, or as someone wondering where God is calling you. And as you see how God used something in her life, her tragedy, to actually be her calling in both business and in a ministry aspect, that God could take something in your life 
and do something with it. Maybe that will give you some insight into a calling for you. So with that being said, let's get into the interview with Lisa Apollo. Okay, welcome back to the Mom with a Calling podcast. Today, I have Lisa Apollo on the podcast, and she is a speaker, writer, and Bible teacher who inspires women to cultivate faith in life's storms. Ten years ago, Lisa went to bed happily married to her high school sweetheart and woke up a widow and single mom of seven. As she navigated grief and shepherded her children through their own grief, God reshaped all that seemed shattered. And today, Lisa provides biblical encouragement for all who grieve, whether over the loss of a loved one, a job, a dream, financial stability, et cetera. We'll talk more about that. And she now manages a community of writers who, um, who like her are widowed and her calling is to encourage them. And Lisa likes to say that the next phase of your life after unexpected loss is not God's plan B for your life, but actually the opening to chapter two. Wow, Lisa, that's an amazing story. And I'm sure we're going to get into all of that. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be with you. Yeah. So obviously you and your family have gone through a lot with the loss of your husband. So would you mind telling us a little bit about that story and what happened there? Sure. So on my husband and I were high school sweethearts. Um, There was no sign or symptom, no indication at all that anything was going on. And, um, but something was, he had a heart issue underlying that we didn't know about. And had we known it was probably treatable to some extent. Um, so, you know, on a very, what I felt like was an ordinary Friday morning, I woke up, I had, I woke up to his funny breathing and I wasn't even awake enough to even open my eyes, but I kind of reached over in the dark and just nudged him and said, it's just a nightmare, hun. And I thought he would kind of turn over mm-hmm. and we would go back to sleep and wake up to his alarm in a couple hours, but he didn't turn over. And as I woke up more to his breathing, I realized, and I, I flipped on the overhead light. I could see immediately that something was drastically wrong. And of course I didn't know what it was at that point, but we called 911. We, you know, I went into crisis mode. I started um, CPR and paramedics came. Their station is really right outside of our neighborhood. So they were there within not even two rounds of CPR. So I thought, okay, he is in good hands and he's going to be so mad when he wakes up and realizes that he has to miss work today. But um, they took him by stretcher to the, to the hospital and I followed and it was there that a doctor called us into that room. You never want to go into that kind of counseling room. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to go into the patient room right. and um, said that they had worked on Dan for over two hours and they had never been able to revive him. So that was it. I know now that I woke to really his, the end, some mm-hmm. end breathing and um you know, that was it in one 24 hour in one night sleep, really, you know, life shattered in so many ways. And it's not just the loss of the person. If anybody has walked through any kind of shattering loss, and that could be through a spouse who says, I never loved you and walks out. That can be through a, a, a chronic diagnosis for you or somebody in your family. It could be, you know, child loss. It could be the loss of a spouse or a parent sibling Mm -hmm. so many ways that there's so many repercussions to loss. Yeah. Wow. And that's like our worst fear, right? That something is going to happen. I say it's our worst fear. It's, we don't really think about it until you hear somebody's story like that. And it's just like, wow, like I, you know, you don't want that to happen. So, um, 
I can't even imagine how you move forward from there. So can you talk a little bit about what you did next? Like, how did you even process what had happened? What did you do to move forward? Yes. Well, I think, um, as most of us do, we go into survival mode, you know, trying to figure out what the next step is going to be and what life is going to look like and how we're going to move forward at all. And, you know, it's not some nice, tidy little plan. Um, you know, we were grappling with very hard emotions in that place and very hard questions. And of course I was shepherding my seven children. I had seven kids who were four years old all the way up to my oldest, who was 19. So I had them at all stages and ages and trying to help them grieve well, because I knew that if we didn't grieve this um, now on our terms, that it could come back later on its terms. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want that for my children or for me. Mm-hmm. And so I was really a student of grief. You know, I'm not a therapist or anything like that. And I uh, was very grief naive, but just began to dial into what we were going through, began to read, began to um, become acquainted with how to walk through this. And really, I mean, the Lord was my counselor in so many ways, you know, just getting alone with him and the word and letting him, um, I called it the great exchange. I would go in the morning with, and kind of give him my despair and my hopelessness, my fear, all of those questions and pick up his hope. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard as a mom, Any, I mean, going through that as a wife, but then as a mom to then take that to your kids, like we have such a big job um, of taking care of our kids. And then that was really wise of like to realize that you needed to help them grieve the right way and to maybe be strong for them or maybe not. Maybe that's part of it is like showing them that this is hard. Um, and I'm wondering in that process, I'm sure the feelings, how you navigated the feelings of like, God, why did you let this happen? And to teach your kids what to think of that when in those, in the midst of that hard question, what did you do for that? Yeah. All those questions come to the top and, you know, kids are not, I mean, even the youngest kids got it. Even my six-year-old was asking hard questions, but it's really an opportunity. You know, it's not the life that we would plan for our kids and it's okay to grieve that and to um, let go. Mm-hmm. of the life that we wanted, the childhood we wanted for our children. But in that place, we have an opportunity to, um, well, our kids really have an opportunity to grow in ways that they never would on sunny days. And it's, you know, it's not just growing grit and resiliency. We hear these things, but seeing God in ways they never would otherwise, um, but, you know, knitting together as a family, there are ties that are knit together. Mm-hmm. When you walk through something like that, that there is just an understanding that will forever serve that family. And I know that's not the way we, we want to grow our family. It's not the way we want to grow our children. We don't want them to develop bravery or, you know, any courage or any, or you know, compassion that way. And yet those are the seasons where they really are developed and our kids can be people that they would not have been otherwise. Mm-hmm. That's really good. And um, not to even try to compare it to, you know, a business or something. But when I think about what, as you're talking about this loss or this hard thing, or um, just like this, these really hard seasons where you're like, God, why? I feel like it's a, what a lot of us go through um, as we're venturing out into a new, whatever that new season looks like, like, you know, 
And when we're questioning like, God, why are you not letting this thing happen? Or why is, you know, everything feels so barren or like, you know, where are the blessings in this? And it feels really hard. So holding on to those truths and leaning in, because I feel like in those instances, we have a choice, right? It's either turn to God or a lot of us turn away or maybe just shut down altogether. But, you know, and hopefully we lean in and when we lean in, that's where the amazing things happen. And like you said, we can't learn those things really. Like we can hear about them, but to really learn them and to experience, but to experience them and then experience God through those things in the process. It's really a place of deep disappointment because disappointment comes when there's that gap between what we expect would happen, what we want will happen and what really happens. So maybe things are taking longer than they, than we thought they would, or things aren't turning out the way we thought they would, or they're harder than we thought they would. There's a lot of ways that we can encounter disappointment and sometimes Mm -hmm. it's shattering disappointment. Um, Mm -hmm. But in those places, yeah, uh, God is very much growing us into people who will be uh, different than we would have been had we had just all sunny days. Right. So at what point did you, you know, as you're going through your own healing journey and in helping your kids, at what point did it start to go outward where you thought about helping other people through something? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was not at the beginning. It wasn't like, Oh, I am going to be able to, turn around and use this for something because, you know, again, we're in that survival mode. We're in that. Will I be okay? Will my kids be okay? Will I smile again? Mm -hmm. But you know, God does something so unique in those places because when our heart is broken open like that, God comes in and reshapes it for himself. And part of what he shaped in me, and I think is what shaped in so many of us in these kind of seasons is a deep compassion for the person who's a few steps behind us and walking Mm -hmm. that. And so some of this happened organically. People would connect me with either like a new widow or somebody new who's walking through deep kind of loss. Mm -hmm. Um, Even somebody who was walking through an an unwanted divorce, you know, and going through a lot of the same emotions and same loss. Some of, I was meeting people online and talking to them across States, you know, through texts and through phone calls. So some of that just kind of happened, but some of it was also God very much planting in me a compassion. And, you know, it says in, I'm losing the the reference, but second Corinthians, it says that um, God comforts us so that we can turn around and comfort others with the same mm-hmm. comfort he's, he's given us. And that very much happens. And for a long time, honestly, uh, I did not want to be the grief girl. I kind of told God, mm-hmm. I, you know, I can write about a lot of things, but I don't want to be the grief girl. And that was the place where I connected. I, but I'm a long time homeschooler, like two, you know, 20 something years. I had mm-hmm. speak, spoken about that in my community and, you know, had all these kids and so experienced, but those doors didn't open, you know, but the posts and the writing and the speaking that I did about shattering loss, those resonated. And so it was very clear where God was directing me. So I would say, yeah, it was a mix of organically just meeting people who were a few steps behind. And also I remembered what it felt like to desperately want to know somebody who had walked through this, because just like you said, we can know that God is going to be faithful. We can know that Mm -hmm. cerebrally and intellectually, but there's something about having somebody with flesh and bones that we can look to who can kind of turn back around and take our hand and say, this is the way let's do this together. 
Yeah. I mean, they're like this point of hope too. And um, so, okay. So that had brought up a whole bunch of questions. So one, you said that, well, you said that you, you're writing posts and things. Um, so were you, did you just start writing online? Did you like start a blog, just had this outlet? Like what did, what were you referring to there? What did you start doing? Yeah. At year three. So I was an attorney back in the day and I had let my law, I had retired actually officially retired because I was home with these seven kids. And then we had started homeschooling. I mean, it was kind of like a whole new iteration of the Lisa who went, you know, back in the college days, but I really didn't see myself going back into law. You know, I was happy where I was. And, um, so, so Dan and I both agreed like, you know what, I don't think I'm going to, you know, do law again that way. So I will, retire. Well, as I was looking, you know, we were a single income family. Now that income was gone. And while we were okay in the short run, I was thinking about the long-term for my family. I thought, you know what, I'm going to dust that off. I'm going to hang up my shingle again and I'll go back to law. I know how to do that. I enjoy that. So I actually had hired my daughter to be me in the, my oldest daughter to be me in the home for like 15 hours a week. And I was studying for the bar exam again, doing all this stuff. And I loved it. I was like, okay, this is coming back. And I really enjoy it. This is good. But at the same time, God was just not so many words, but a nudge, a, a, a drawing to write. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, well, I can write and do law. And mm-hmm. it just came to a head. If, if you've ever felt God calling you down a path, you, you can't ignore it. And, or to your peril, we ignore it, right? Mm-hmm. You can't ignore that. And so it got louder and louder. And finally, I just one, one night was studying, got down on the carpet in my bedroom and said, this feels so unreasonable. I know how to do law and I don't know what writing looks like, but I'm going to trust you in this. And so I set my law stuff aside. I didn't know if I've never gone back to it, but I thought, well, maybe I'll go back to it in a few months. But I, I thought I would always freelance. Um, but then I saw that you need a blog and all that. So yeah, I started a blog and that was, uh, seven years ago, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that because I think, I mean, I know that there, first of all, there are all lawyers in the audience who have um, either left their career and things. And what I love about that story is one, there's like a practical option, right? And then there's the one that feels like you're feeling like you should do the thing, but it feels crazy. Like you have this degree, you know what to do. It's going to presumably like literally make more, what feels like secure money, more certain money, you know? Um, especially as a one income family at that point, but like you said, you're listening to God and just willing to put it aside and to go that direction. I think that's really powerful. Um, and hopefully an encouragement to people that are listening. And so when you started doing that and and writing the blog, did you know from that point that it was going to be a business or were you just outlet? Like you didn't really know what it was going to look like. You're like, Hey, I'm just going to keep stepping and going in this direction. I, you know, I was hoping that it would be income for my family. And I was hoping that I would make money f- through freelance. Um, but God has directed me differently. I mean, I, I do have a blog and I do, um, you know, have, you know, I have monetized it mm-hmm. in some sense. And I am paid when I go speak and do those kind mm-hmm. of things. Um, but it, it has been longer is taken longer than I thought. At some point in the process, I began to want to write a book. So that also was not on the plate at, at the yeah. beginning, but I went to She Speaks. I don't know if you've ever heard of She mm-hmm. Speaks. And um, after my second She Speaks, I really felt like I wanted to write a book and began to specifically write on deep loss and, and grief. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I could have, um, it took longer than I thought and it was harder than I thought. 
And it was all the timing of it, even though I kind of would hit my head against the wall sometimes thinking, is this ever going to happen? Have I missed the boat? Did I start too late? God's timing has been perfect. And I can see how this is so much of a better book than what I would have written three years ago or five years ago. It's so much better. Yeah. And I think that's one of the hard, the hardest things about blogging or something online is because there's all this, it seems so simple. (laughs) They make it sound so simple. And then, but like you said, when you, when you kind of go down that path, if it's not working, that's where we kind of, you know, again, hit that wall of like, God, what's going on here? Is this not the message? Is this not the outlet? Like, what is it? And you're, you you go through this process, but like you said, looking back at some point, either it will take off and in the way that you envisioned, and that's what God intended. Or like you said, I mean, you ended up at the book, which you may never have ended up at had you not went down the other, other path. And, you know, I think it's interesting about a book and I was going to ask this a little bit later, but I'll just go ahead and ask it now. Cause I think that a lot of people dismiss books as like, that's an old thing to do. You know, like that's not as exciting as like a course or something, but I'm wondering why you felt, why you chose a book. What was really behind writing a book? Mm -hmm. I think I, at the beginning, I thought the book was like the destination. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I also wanted a traditionally published book. I actually have a a self-published book that I did Mm -hmm. earlier that is still out there. um, But, and it's on a different topic, but um, so I had gone that route, but I really wanted a traditionally published book because I wanted a, somebody to come alongside me who could speak into places that I couldn't and could get this book places that I couldn't and who believed in the message. Um, and But along the way, I realized that a book is just one place on the path. It's not the cul-de-sac end. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the destination. And um and it was just, and I, and I, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful. It took longer than I thought, because I'm grateful to know there are a lot of ways to get a message out. Like you said, whether it's through a course or whether you're in somebody else's, you know, a summit or speaking, podcasting, obviously writing, there are just microblogging. There are so many ways YouTubing to get your message out and, um, having a book is one way that should be part that for me is part of, you know, how I speak into this space. Yeah. Well, and the reason I asked that is because I, I mean, I personally had that thought of like books are, yeah, who want, like, why are we going to write a book or thinking like, I can't write, like I'm not an author and thinking of the book as, as like your income source. And it, it obviously is going to bring income, but that's like, you're saying it's not the destination. It's not the ultimate thing necessarily. And one day I was, I don't even know what I was doing, but as I was sitting there, I was like real, I was reading and somebody who had passed away, mostly C.S. Lewis. Right. And I was thinking if he didn't write a book and they didn't have technology, like I wouldn't even be able to, to get anything from him because I mean, I wasn't alive when he was alive. And I was just like, if you write a book, it can live on. I mean, like no matter what technology does, no matter algorithms, whatever, you can pick up some book somewhere in time, you know, for thousands of years. Well, the Bible, you know, like all this, all these stories, like we've had these books and I'm just like, a book is actually really powerful. If your goal is to get a message out there, to have it impact people, because somewhere, sometime people you may never interact with, may never find your website, then even have access to the internet are still going to be able to read and like get the, the message and get that 
um, hope and whatever it is you're teaching in the book. So I just think that's, that was something I wanted to point out um, about the book side of things. Yeah. Oh, I affirm that. I just got a message from a friend, another author who's writing a book in the middle of this one. She's a little Mm -hmm. discouraged. She said, Lord, show me a sign, you know, Mm -hmm. encourage my heart. And she got a message from a ministry, women's ministry leader that said, that was talking about a book she'd written 10 years ago. I think it was her first book. I love that book. It's really speaking to me and I'm ordering a copy of it for everybody in this, for this retreat who's coming. So yeah, just to think it wasn't even her current, you know, message, but one that she had written 10 years ago. Yeah. And you just never know. I think when we follow what God's asking us to do too, um, you never know when or how God's going to use it. And sometimes it's like, it's really a test of our heart and really will show us, right? Like, are we okay if it doesn't get used or nothing happens with it now? And that if it's just for the one person or, um, you know, know, 10 years later, like it could come around and that's not, and that's a hard balance because when you're doing it as a business, you want the, you want to work now, but at the same time, there is just this part of you that's like, okay, I'm just going to be obedient and do this thing. And God will still bring provision in other ways and kind of walking, you know, walking in that place. And it's easier said than done for sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, oh, you said something else that I was thinking, um, Oh, okay. So I just started homeschooling myself this year. And I think that's really interesting what you said about kind of like you tried to go homeschool. You tried to talk about that. You tried to go this route. You're like, I don't want to talk about grief. Probably hard to keep re saying the same story over and over. Like this is hard. Like that would be excruciating, but also, you know, it's happier to do homeschool and you had all this experience. Right. Um, so can you talk a little bit about, you said the doors kept closing there and what was that like for you to just be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to say yes to, to this side, um, to this direction and see that as an open door instead of continually trying to go the homeschool way and just beating your head against the wall because it's not working. Yeah. It was pretty quick where I realized that homeschooling wasn't, wasn't, um, going to be my niche. Now I tried other ones. I, I was, the reason I think I didn't want to be the grief girl was having walked through this hard place. And if anybody has, has done this, having walked through it, I didn't want to revisit it. And it wasn't just even telling my story, but going back when you're ministering to people in those places, oof, you know, you're going back and hearing their stories and re, you know, and so I, you know, I was writing about parenting. I was writing about um, Bible study stuff. And some of that stuff was doing actually very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, you know, one of the lessons that I would tell Lisa of seven years ago would be to embrace your niche. And people said that they said niche down, niche down. And we think, well, Lisa Turkers hasn't niched down. And, you know, we have all these other people that haven't niched down and they're doing fine. And, but, you know, I think that I would have developed my message quick, more quickly, seen what resonated more quickly um, developed a readership more quickly. If they could count on that content, you know, mm-hmm. always being around deep loss, shattering loss. Um, and I think I wouldn't have been walking around, you know, what, what ended up being my target message for this book. So yeah, maybe God will grow my message for, you know, a next book or a next book. And I'll go on to some other related content, but yeah, I would, that's what I would tell Lisa of seven years ago or anybody else who's starting. Don't, don't fear niching down Mm -hmm. because it just helps you 
it really helps you stand. It, it helps people know what you are speaking about and what to count on you for. And like, I have a lot of friends and I love when I meet somebody who's new, who has a need, I love saying, Oh, you need to go follow this friend, or you need to go read this friend's book, or you need to go connect with this friend. And I know that because they have such clear message. Mm -hmm. So when we have a clear niched message, people can do that for us as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's really important. And it's really hard. Um, And I feel like we say it to people, but at the same time, I feel like it's literally everybody's journey that you don't listen and you, you know, you bounce, you try, and then you finally listen and like, they're trying to tell you, but you, it's kind of, I think it's because we don't really know. And maybe we're, like you said, we're afraid to niche down or we don't know what it's going to be. Like we have all these things that we know how to do. Like there's all these different areas that we could choose. And so we're kind of going like this, but what I'm hearing you say is that it's not necessarily what you liked but what you, where you felt led, right? Like where God was opening the door, that's different. That is different. That's right. And, um, what people were coming to me for, Mm -hmm. you know, people were coming to me with those questions. So, so how did you, cause I feel like I would be very resistant. So how did you be like, were you just, okay, God, I'm going to do what you're asking and just, okay, I'm just going to walk this road. Even if I don't love it, I'm going to learn to love it kind of a thing. Or how did that go? And I, I think I just, began to really imagine the woman on the other side of the screen. And I was meeting her over coffee in real life. I was speaking to her when I would go to speaking events. Um, She was, you know, I'm a Bible teacher. So they were in my Sunday school class. They hadn't always walked through my exact circumstances, but they were walking through difficult places. Mm -hmm. And so I would just imagine her and, or imagine me of, you know, a few years ago and really just speaking into her. It was, it's that compassion again. It's that, that God has put this compassion in me. And I so want you to know that you will not always feel like this, that life, all the good isn't behind you and that you are not now, you know, consigned to like the second best life that you wanted. God still have so much for you, but, but these are some steps to get there. Right. And I think that's, that's huge is because especially when we go into business, we think it needs to be like the one that makes sense or the money making, whatever. But as Christians, it's like, God's given us something normally it's to serve in some capacity. And so if you have this compassion, I mean, what better way to make your living than to get paid to also be able to help people in this way, because you feel so strongly about it. Um, And I wonder that kind of leads me to the, the next question of, did you feel any feelings, any, any feelings at all about serving people in such a hard place? And in this way, because God has put you through that, you know, you've gone through this and you also are feeling led to help people and then making money from it. A lot of women, Christian women, especially, um, especially in my audience, they are very unsettled with like, they want to serve and they want to help. But when it comes to making money from this, they're like, that's not okay. I shouldn't do that. They, they keep trying to find a different thing, but they're avoiding what they're really being called to do. So can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. So I, you know, the reality is that it costs a lot of money to have a blog and it costs a lot of money to create content and it costs mm-hmm. a lot of money to host a podcast. And I, I don't think people outside our space realize that they think, Oh, that must all be free. You just turn on the airwaves and right. you know, you just open up your computer and write. But the, but the reality is it costs a lot. And the more your, your email list grows, the more expensive it is. Mm-hmm. And so I really just wanted to cover those expenses for sure. You know, mm-hmm. um, 
And so I think that we can be, you know, the worm, the worker is worth his wage, right? And if God has called us to it, he, and it's okay to allow his provision to come through it. And that can look a lot of different ways. It can look like, you know, these are my fees that I usually have for, for speaking, but I'm willing to work with the budget of your church. Um, or, you know, this is the, there are a lot of ways to monetize and some of them may feel easier on the reader or the listener than like charging them to, um, to read your sub stack. Maybe some people are like, I don't want to, you know, have this like firewall where they have to pay to get anything I read for me, ads do, do ads are very helpful for me. Mm -hmm. Once I qualified for a really good ad company and I have heard zero negative from anybody when I put it on, which is really interesting. I've had a couple of times where I thought about taking them off because I would see something that I didn't like Mm -hmm. that didn't go with my message, but you know, I've been pretty picky behind the scenes about saying what, what they can't show, what kind of ads I won't host. And that it's done a pretty good job of keeping those out. But, um, but for me, it allows me to create content where nobody's has to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it's, it's for right now, it's a win-win where somebody can, anybody can access my site and read my content and they're not having to pay for it. Um, and the ads aren't too overwhelming. You know, I have them set Mm -hmm. real well. But I think, I think it's natural. I think, especially as women, we go through that, you know, and I think it goes back to the whole thing about, you know, we're just always good about giving like, oh, we're happy to take the casserole, but we don't really want people to see our need mm-hmm. to bring us a casserole. It's, right. it's, it's rooted in the same thing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That we feel like we should be givers and always giving and not um, that, that we need the support. I mean, look. Even Jesus was supported by people, right? Mm-hmm. Even Jesus had women who worked mm-hmm. and out of their own means. So mm-hmm. whatever those means were worked and then supported his ministry. Right. Yeah. I just wanted to touch on that because I just know that goes through the minds of a lot of people and we forget like, and I've used this analogy before on the podcast, but it's like, if you have a job, you're getting paid in some way. Right. And you wouldn't even question, like, I need to get paid for this job. This is the same thing, right? Like you said, the workers worth his wage that you're working in a different way. Like you're working for God and he's giving you these things to do. And so like, you know, letting the provision come being open to receiving instead of saying like, no, I can't, but if he's putting it on your heart to do that, then you should like, don't stop him from, from providing for you in that way. Because if you have to go get a job, because we have to pay bills, then you can't even serve in the way you fully could, the way he wants you to, if you divide your attention. And like you said, ads is a great way. And I've never really thought about ads that way. Um, I've sort of been like, no, I'm not going to do ads, but like, you're right. Like that's a way to get, to still have provision without putting that, that block up to actually charge the readers versus it just being through, through ad networking. So I really um, appreciate you speaking to that. Uh, The other thing is, I'm sorry, just one other thing is, you know, we value what we pay for. And you've probably talked about this quite Mm -hmm. a bit, but I have a lot of free resources, like free, you know, um, lead magnets and opt-ins and that kind of thing that are good. And um, one of them I'm considering turning into a paid Bible study just because people are really quick to sign up for something like, oh yeah, I want that free thing. And they're quick to do it, but then do they really stay 
do they really complete the Bible study? Right. Are they really getting everything out of that Bible study that they could? And sometimes I think, you know, if, if we paid $10 for something, $15 for something, you know, I, I, I would be probably more intent on actually doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and not, it does. It's yeah. It's both two things. I think one, if it's really easy to type in my email and get the free thing. Right. But for me to pay even a, any amount, a dollar, $10, whatever. It's like, I have to say, am I going to actually do this? Like, do I really want to? And then in my head, like, you know, the fact that I paid for it is saying that I'm in a place that I am willing to do this thing and do the work. Right. And so sometimes we think that we, you know, we just want to be free, but in your heart, you're actually not in the place to, to pay for it. So you don't value it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times for our, for our audience, if you're really, and I've, I mean, I just think this is amazing to think about, but if you are really, if your goal, if God has given you this message to share with people and your goal is to truly help them through a transformation, they're going to, they need to pay for something because that's where the transformation is. People that come and hear you speak or people that buy your book or like any of that, the true transformation is going to be when they have a heart change to put money with it and say, okay, I'm, I need to like work in this area. Um, I need to do this thing, whatever that looks like, whether it's getting unstuck from something or learning something new, it just does something different in the person's heart as well. Yeah. I and agree. it's part of our job to like, it, it's becomes part of our job to actually help them through that. Obviously listening to wherever God's directing you in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, this whole story is like a, it's like the ultimate example of God. And we talked about this in, in the intro, but it's like turning something, your mess into your messages. I've heard it said, you know, taking something that happens and turning it into a business, turning it into the way God's going to provide. And I know that probably as you were going through it, it's like, what is going on? And just to look back is so, I don't know. It's like neat to see how God's working and how he's been working and all of that. Um, so Tell us a little bit about the book. And we've been talking about the book around it. What is the book about? What's it called? Tell us more about that. Sure. It's called Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your World Back Together After It All Falls Apart. And there's a promise there that life will be good again. I think I had said that I wondered if I would ever smile again. Um, I wondered if I would ever feel real joy again in those early months, in the early years, really of grief. And so this is, you know, we don't skip to the good part. It's not just slapping on a platitude for somebody to say, you know, it's going to, it's all good, or you'll feel good again. We Mm -hmm. go to the hard places of hard emotions and hard questions um, and walk through those, you know, through, through biblical lament and through mm-hmm. some very proactive steps that we can take, you know, it, when life kind of implodes in loss like that it shatters, we can feel like so much is out of our control and it is. Um, and yet in that place, there are things that, that are within our control, our responses and the way we choose to react and respond and what we choose to do. And so there are some very proactive steps we can take that will very tenderly and very, you know, step by a small step, begin to walk a person through a life they never saw coming Mm -hmm. this pain. They never wanted to, um, to see that life can be good again. Mm -hmm. Um, is the book, stories? Is it devotional stuff? Like how is it um, set up? It is story centered. So each chapter pretty much starts with the story. It's not just mine. Mine is the intro. And then we go into um, kind of like the, 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 um, 
the path, the journey that somebody mm-hmm. would take from the very hard and those brutal questions and excruciating pain. But it starts with each chapter starts with other stories. There's a story, there's several stories of women who have, uh, who went through unwanted divorce. Mm-hmm. There is a story of a mom whose child was diagnosed with a devastating chronic um, diagnosis when she was like three weeks old, I think. And, you know, how do you find hope? That's not like a season that's going to go away. Mm-hmm. You know, this is lifelong. So there's a lot of stories in there of other women and the, the pain that they've walked and how we can navigate those hard emotions and those hard spaces and what we can do to kind of find our footing and then cling to like hope, even if it's very threadbare and then lean into these truths that God still has good for us. Mm, I love that. Um, I think those are so needed. And like you said, it's not just necessarily a loss, but it could be something that feels like you're grieving the childhood that you're, you, you thought your kids were going to have, or the, the vision you had for what your children were going to be like, or look like, or, or whatever. Um, and just being able to walk through that. And it's really powerful to hear from other women who have gone through that and to have that story. So, um, yeah, I think it can be, I don't know, you know, if people are listening, they can obviously get the book for that reason um, to get encouraged. But I also, I wanted to ask about the structure because I think there are so many different ways to, to relay a message and just thought, you know, it would be encouraging to hear how you decided to put it that way and um, what it kind of looked like as its final, final. Piece. Yeah. Story always brings us in. Mm-hmm. So story to me, story first, because that helps us connect and you can share so much through description instead of just like teaching it. So it was great though. I mean, I had an excellent, I had several editors. Mm -hmm. I think went through four stages of editing Mm -hmm. and my initial editor, who was the acquisitions editor who had acquired the book said, um, when I gave her the first draft said, um, we lost you after like chapter two, we lost you. We didn't see you again until (laughs) chapter 10 because I had tried to not make it about me. Mm -hmm. And so I really used these other stories. And she said, yeah, but you still need to weave your story. How was, how was God continuing to grow you? And, and, you know, what were you learning through this? So that yeah. was, that was good perspective. Right. And you talked about these editors. This is because you had a traditionally published book. Um, what's that been like? Can you speak to that for a little bit about self-publishing versus traditionally publishing? Has that been, it sounds like a different experience, like having editors and people to help you direct the book and things like that. Yeah. Well, I do know self-publishers, self-publishing authors can hire editors. They can hire cover designers. They can do all that. And I did that with my other book. Um, But with this one, it was, first of all, it takes a lot longer. So if you want to, if you want a book out there quick, (laughs) go the self-publishing route, because, um, you know, first you have the proposal stage, which is like a work in itself. I mean, it's like an opus, you know, 40 page or whatever you have this marketing plan and why you're the person to write it and what the other books on the subject are, um, and who, who, you know, who could be possible endorsers and influencers. So you have all, and then you have to write, um, three chapters and you have to outline, you know, have mm-hmm. a chapter summary. So you really ha- know what the book is going to look yeah. like. So that proposal goes in. I had an agent. She worked with me on the proposal. She made a lots of changes and wanted me to make lots of changes. And then finally I thought, oh, this is never going to go out. One day she just sent it to all her contacts and we started hearing from them. You know, one, they would say, we just took a book like this, or we're not interested. We're not publishing this kind of thing. 
we had three bites. I had phone calls with those three publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and they won, you know, some of them wanted me to change it too much. I got an offer from one and my agent negotiated it a little bit. And then we went with them and I knew the acquiring agent pretty well from online, you know, just mm-hmm. online relationship and uh, knew the other authors that she'd represented. So I felt really comfortable going with her. So my book is with Bethany house and it's under the Baker book. So it's got, you know, Ravel mm-hmm. and some other ones under there, but I've been very happy. It goes through the editing stage and then it goes to, uh, you know, I'm working with a marketing team now mm-hmm. and they're doing, they are opening doors and doing things and paying for things that I am not. <laughs> Yeah, so oh, the good. contacts look like their network is, you know, what you get to tap into as well. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you for t- talking about that. Cause like I said, you know, the audience we're talking to is the people who are interested in maybe doing something like that. So getting a little bit of that side, I think would be very helpful. Um, so for the women that are listening, if they may have not gone through exactly what you've went through, right. But they may have something that is big on their heart, something that they're feeling very passionate about or and then therefore I have compassion about this. So, but they don't know how to get started, right? They don't know like which avenue or how to get this from, I feel really strongly about this thing to figuring out how they can walk in it. So um, what advice do you have for somebody like that listening? You can't do all the things. So find, this is the other advice that people always give, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we think that we can, we think we can beat that. Um, so find where your reader or listener is. Um, who, who is that person and go ahead and pick out somebody in real life that, you know, it might be you three years ago. It might be somebody at your church that, you know, who's walking through this right now, pick them out and think, where is that person? Where does she hang out? Is she more likely to listen to a YouTube, a podcast, read a blog, um, And, and, and so then find one of those avenues. Those are three great avenues right there. And just go down the rabbit hole, you know, Mm -hmm. just start doing it. And it's going to be clunky maybe at first, even as good, you know, I was like a journalism major. So I was like, Oh, I know how to write. And even as an attorney, I wrote a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. legal briefs, but blog writing is all different. It's, and you know, so you learn, we all start somewhere and that, Mm -hmm. that arc of growing your art and growing, you know, um, growing is, is really neat to see. So yeah, I would say start it, start at one of those places and then just begin to learn all you can about that space and how to connect well there niche, find your niche, and then speak to that person. And there's Mm -hmm. SEO in all three of those places. So Mm -hmm. use SEO, let Google do a lot of work for you. Right. Um, what about the part, like, so, you know, when there's something big that's happened, I know you said it was three years for you, but you know, we've, I've heard, um, Bruce Sukup says this, like, don't write with an open wound, write with a scar. Like if you're going to write about something, there probably should be some time between you and the thing that you're writing about. Um, would you agree to that? That's, you, you know, not writing while you're in the, I mean, sometimes it depends on what it is. If it's not something hurt, like, you know, tragic or going through, maybe you're just learning how to budget or whatever. Yeah, sure. Write about that. But when it comes to something like what you went through, um, maybe giving it some space before that becomes the thing that you start writing on. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So I, so I know people who have written through their very raw grief. Mm-hmm. And in one sense, it connects. If you're in that place of very raw grief too, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, I, you know, when I was, I went online and I looked for places and I couldn't find anything. The only, the only place I found was this widower in England, whose wife had died suddenly. It was very different circumstances. He wasn't writing from a faith perspective at all. It was all secular, but he was, what he was describing resonated with what I was going through. Mm-hmm. And there's some comfort in just knowing that what you're feeling is shared. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm not crazy for feeling this way. There's some level of comfort for that but you're not going to be able to bring the person all the way through and you're not going to have um, found, you don't have to have everything wrapped up in a bow, but you do have to be at a place where you can say, I have walked through that hard to me. You, it's help, most helpful to, to say, I have walked through that hard and I can tell you what's on the other side. Mm-hmm. Cause in the end, we all want to know that we all want to know, is there an, am I going to feel better? Is it always going to feel like this? You know, is there another side? And some, for some niches, they're, they're like, a, there's not a season. You're not going to, like, if you're dealing with chronic, uh, a chronic disease, if you're writing in that niche, well, this isn't something that's going to go away. Mm-hmm. This is chronic and you're teaching the reader or the listener how to live with that. Mm-hmm. But there is a place where you have developed new rhythms mm-hmm. in your life a perspective over this, you have found out how to best flourish mm-hmm. even with this and not let the chronic diagnosis get the last say. Mm-hmm. No, it's really, that's, that's a really good point because yeah, I mean, and sometimes that, that on the other side could even, you know, grief has all these stages. It could just be like, you're in the next stage and it's sort of like, okay, now I feel, even if it's not as like, not years and years, but it might be a little bit, but like you, you know, you can write on that. But like you said, there is this need, this connection where when we're going through something, we want to hear from another human that they are going through the same thing, or they are speaking, giving words to our feelings. Right. And that, um, just being able to hear from them, but like you said, you're not, you're just connecting with them at that point. You're not like giving them anything. So there's, there's benefits, you know, to all of that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that's good. That's good to, to say that as well. Um, well, Lisa, thank you so much for talking with us today and sharing your story. Um, it's been such an encouragement to hear how something that was hard and life altering, ultimately God uses everything that we go through if we lean in, right. We, if we lead in, we can really be a part of that, of that story. So where can people connect with you with it? Where can they learn more about you? All of that stuff. Sure. So you can find me at my site, which is lisaapolo.com. It's two P's one L there's a book page there. So you can find out about life can be good again. Um, and then we, I have a sister site called hope and mm-hmm. And I have a team of contributing writers and we write about a lot of different kinds of grief. You know, I wanted people who could write about grief from other perspectives, you know, child loss or miscarriage or chronic, chronic illness. We have a lot of that. So, um, there's that site. And then if anybody would be in your group, that is a busy young widow, I have a Facebook group called widow mama collective Mm -hmm. and it's closed, but it's not closed. If you're a young widow, we just close it so that it's safe, a safe Mm -hmm. place to, to talk real grief and to, you know, walk with each other in real hope. I love that. I'll put all that stuff on the show notes and everything. So thank you so much, Lisa, for being here today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. So I hope that that interview with Lisa was inspiring to you, was encouraging that you found 
nuggets of wisdom, but also were inspired by how God like moved in her life. I mean, I just think that's amazing that she, you know, was considering going back to law school, like going after what made sense, the logical thing to do, right, is to pull out the degree, go after the career, you know, that's the way she's going to make money, but God had different plans. And I just want I just I just want to inspire you or encourage you today with that information to think about that for yourself, that it may not be, it may be, it may be the thing that you're trying to do. It may be that you are supposed to be a lawyer and that's fine, but it may not be right. Being open to where God's calling you, where he's moving and being willing to say yes and to be obedient, even if it's not the place you wanted to go. Because at the end of the day, what we're doing with our businesses is serving God, right? He has something that he's calling us to do. And our job right now is to lay down our plans, lay down our ideas of what a business should be and where we think we're supposed to be called and really figure out where is God calling us? That's where our success is going to be, not in the business that we think it needs to be, right? So just taking that piece of wisdom with you this week. And if you do not know where you're called to go, you do not really know what God's calling you to do, then I want to invite you to go ahead and book a clarity coaching session with me. This is where we can really dive in and figure out where you're called. What is God calling you to do? More than likely, you already know there's just some things maybe blocking you. And in this coaching call, I can help you figure out what's blocking you, what he's actually already showing you and help open your eyes to get that clarity so that you can move forward in confidence. Because when you know that God has called you to it, you're going to go go for it full force, right? You're not going to be operating in doubt and fear and wondering, is this the business for me? Should I do this business or that business? It's not about that at that point, right? When you know that God has called you in a certain direction, then you know what your business is about. So if that's you, if you need help with that, um, go ahead and book one of those coaching calls. Just go to mamawiththecalling.com slash coaching, and it'll be on there and we can go ahead and get you started. So with that, I hope this episode was inspiring, encouraging, and that you move forward this week, keeping God at the forefront and always pursue your calling. And I will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Mama with the Calling podcast. As always, you'll find the show notes for today's episode at mamawiththecalling.com slash podcast. Really quick before you head out, are you loving these episodes? To make sure this podcast gets in the ears of as many mamas as possible, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. I'm going to be reading your reviews on the podcast, so I can't wait to hear from you. Also, if you know someone that needs to hear these episodes, grab a screenshot and share it on Instagram. And don't forget to tag me at Mama with a Calling so I can share it in my stories. Until next time, keep pursuing your calling.